Well, that's a very important testimony, isn't it? To be able to say to the Lord, I'm yours completely. Uh, has it already been a good hour for you, I hope? I mean, this is a wonderful place. We have the temperature controlled. We have the lighting as we need it. We, uh, most of us have Bibles because we're going to be looking at some scriptures from Matthew chapter 8 in just a moment. Um, it is a privilege for us to be where we are and be able to experience God and one another in a sense of community in the way that we get to do it. It's not the same way around the rest of the globe, right? David is a pastor who was invited to an Asian country uh, to go and to try to encourage some leaders in the church. Specifically, a country that is closed to Christianity and is oppressive to the faith, and therefore the church is underground. They don't operate in the open and publicly. And so David's experience on this particular day at this particular gathering was that uh, the participants who were all church leaders in surrounding villages and areas uh, came in at staggered times. Now, we do that, but that's for other reasons. Uh, they staggered their time because they didn't want to draw attention to a group of people walking into the same building at the same time. And so over some period of time, they all arrived and as they gathered in the room together, about 20 of them, David said many of them had beads of sweat popping up on their forehead and face and, and streams of sweat coming down the sides of their faces uh, because they, many had walked several miles to be able to come to this gathering. Others uh, were covered in dust because they had traveled dusty roads to get there. The room was dimly lit because they did not, again, want to draw attention from those that are outside. And it was very small and very cramped for these 20 people to all be kind of huddled up together. And uh, as was their custom, they began to share about what was going on in their respective churches. Again, these were about 20 leaders of area-type churches. And uh, one guy began to say in a rather broken voice, it's very hard for us right now. And he named the name of the cult that had been oppressing their church, kidnapping some of their members. And when uh, they would kidnap some of their members, they would torture them, beat them, sometimes release them, sometimes cut their tongue out. And so... He began to share more of the story in sobs. Suddenly somebody knocked at the door. Everybody shook. Everybody got tense and uptight. And the guy who's kind of like the bouncer guy, he's like the biggest guy in the room, goes to the door. And it was one of their members. And so they let the guy in. But uh, everybody took a sigh of relief. But this guy's job was to try to make sure the room stayed secure. Somebody else began to share about how challenging it was for their church. And uh, the government had found out that they were operating and had said, if you gather one more time, we're going to remove your property from you. You will lose your jobs. 
will take children away from you, things like that. And again, sobs. How do we, how do we be a church? How do I lead a church in such difficult, costly times? Those stories went on around the circle. And they began to pray for one another. And soon there were little puddles created by tears as they sobbed before the Lord together, calling upon His help, His strength, His power, His deliverance in their lives. After an hour and a half or two of that kind of praying and worshiping and testifying and sharing, then uh, they turned to David because they had hoped that this trained American, somebody that actually been to school about the Bible, would uh, teach them from the Scriptures. And so uh, he said to them, you know, what would be helpful to you for me to, to teach about today? And he brought, you know, two or three, four lessons with him to be able to share with them that he thought would be appropriate. And some of them began to say, you know, there's just so much of the Old Testament that we don't know, that we don't understand. You know, we, we would have you teach us the Old Testament. And David said, okay, what, what book of the Old Testament would you like for us to address? And they said, no, no, we, we'd like for you to teach us the whole Old Testament. <laughs> They'd already been there a couple of hours. And so he began at Genesis and he began to teach and he taught for an hour. And as he tried to bring it to a close, they were like, no, 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 we're here to study the Bible. And so he went another six hours with hungry students, lay church leaders that just wanted to get the Word of God. And when they got to the end of the day and it was going to be dark and all these people were going to travel miles back to wherever they came from in the dark, they said, is there any way you can be with us tomorrow? I mean, we all have farms, we all have work, but we're going to take tomorrow off if you can be with us because we'd love for you to teach us the New Testament tomorrow. And so he agreed to stay another day. And for the hours of the entire day, he taught the New Testament. To hungry, feasting on the Lord, feasting on the Word kinds of people who were paying a great price to follow Christ where they were. Meanwhile, in America... We enjoy places like this. We enjoy our freedoms, our liberties that have been hard fought for. And we're able to have all kinds of expression regarding our faith. And I don't, I don't say that to put us down at all by way of contrast. I say that to warn us that we cannot take for granted what we get to do and who we get to be because we're in a free context. It is so subtly dangerous for us to be in the freedom that we have and maintain the edge of the Christian faith that it is. It is very dangerous. An altogether different kind of danger than what some of the other countries around the globe experience. One of the greatest dangers that the American church faces today is what I'll call cultural Christianity. By that I mean an admiration for the life of Jesus and the practice 
of a morality that's based upon the teachings of Jesus. But it's very superficial. It's not life penetrating and therefore life transforming. And survey after survey after survey done between believers in our country and non-believers in our country yield virtually the same kinds of lifestyles being lived, the same kinds of problems being faced, the same kinds of ways, the same kinds of marital challenges, financial stresses, and, and, and so on it goes. Because we get sucked into this thing of a cultural Christianity rather than a biblical Christianity, by which I mean one that hears the call of Jesus to die to self. To follow Jesus no matter the cost. In the opening chapters of the Gospel of John... When John the baptizer is announcing the coming of the Christ, and Jesus, in fact, shows up and is baptized by John, and then as he begins to go, John says to his disciples, Andrew, James, John, there goes the Lamb of God. You need to follow him. And as you may recall, they begin to leave John. And they began to follow Jesus. And Jesus sees them coming after him. And he says, so what's up, guys? Why why are you coming after me? And, And they said, we understand you to be the Lamb of God. We understand you to be the Christ. We want to know you and follow you. And Jesus said, come and see. That's a wonderful invitation. That's an invitation that's extended to all of us. And if you're the early stages of the faith, Jesus would say the same thing to you today. Come and see. Take a look. Check it out. Find out if it's true or not. But what we have to remember is that with every disciple that ever followed Jesus, come and see eventually turned into come and die. For every disciple. Come and see is for a season. Come and die is for the rest of your life as you follow after Jesus. Where you die daily to self. You die daily to the cultural norms and the cultural call so that you live unto Him. Now, we're going to be looking specifically today in Matthew chapter 8 where Jesus is calling people to follow him. This is in a context of Matthew showing us the authority that Jesus has and that Jesus experiences and expresses. Last week, as we uh, began to get into all of this, the first verse of chapter 8, we saw where Jesus had the authority and the power to heal whomever he wanted to, to deliver them from whatever oppressed and tore at their lives. And this had amassed quite a crowd in the city of Capernaum. Now, uh, after many, many people had been healed, many, many people had been delivered, uh, Jesus said, you know what, guys? Telling the twelve disciples, we got to go. It's time to get out of here. And with the anticipation of Jesus' departure, some who were not ready to 
let go of his presence with them, began to say, began to inquire, hey, I want to go with you also. And that's where we pick up in verse uh, 18. Now, when Jesus saw a crowd around him, he gave orders to go over to the other side. Remember, they're on the coast of the Sea of Galilee. And so he's like, okay, let's get in the boat, guys. We're going to go over to the other side. We've got to get out of here. And a scribe came up to him and said to him, Teacher, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, Foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. Another of the disciples said to him, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. And Jesus said to him, Follow me and leave the dead to bury their own dead. And the next week, as we'll see, he got in a boat and he went to the other side. Now, these are strange responses, are they not? To eager men who hustled up to Jesus and said, Hey, I want to go with you. I want to follow you. Now, the first one's a scribe. A scribe is a trained, learned man who has uh, studied the Scriptures and copies the Scriptures so that there are written copies in various synagogues and places of worship. He can be a teacher of the ways of God. And so if this had been some of us and a trained scribe had said, Hey, I want to come follow you. I want to be one of yours. You know, we would have been thinking, All right. Awesome. For once, I get a trained guy that walks in the door. It's not somebody I'm going to have to do all this training with. He already knows the Bible. I'll be able to release him quickly to be able to teach others. He's somebody I can leverage. He's somebody that can be used for the kingdom of God. But Jesus doesn't think the way that we think. And he has a different kind of response. Now, I want you to note what's going on because some of it's fairly subtle. It was a common thing for someone to want to follow a rabbi, which Jesus was, a teacher, uh, to be a disciple, to be a learner of a rabbi. And so uh, if you were one of those, you would go up to the rabbi that you felt like you wanted to learn from and you said, I want to be one of your disciples. I want to be one of your followers, meaning... That for some period of my life, for some season, I want to come after you. I want to learn from you. And then at some point, I'll quit following you and I'll be a leader to others who want to follow me. And not only that, Jesus had had this miraculous thing going on in Capernaum that everybody was going crazy. Everybody was very excited about who Jesus is and, who, and what Jesus was doing. This guy was actually kind of padding his resume, if you will. Won't it be special if I had been a follower of Jesus, if I had been one of his disciples, how many people will want to follow me now that I've been one of his disciples? And so Jesus, reading through all of this motivation, cuts down to the core of it, raises the bar and says, okay, here's what you need to understand. You see, if you follow me, this is not going to pad your resume. This is not going to add to people's, you know, honor and respect for who you are. See, I don't even have a place to live. I don't have a place that I even lay my head. So if you're going to follow me, 
How about a little homelessness? How about a little deprivation? How about a little bit not knowing where your next meal comes from? Because, see, if you're going to follow me, that's what this journey is going to involve. Friends, let me say it to us this way. Because if Jesus were in our building, in our part of the world today, he'd be saying it like this. The following me is not going to help you help yourself. This is not about you being able to get your act together, you being able to get help, you being able to get healed, you being able to get answers to your questions. This is not about you at all. Jesus would say, it's all about me and the mission from heaven. Then another eager beaver comes up and says, hey, I, I want to follow after you too. Only just, just let me bury my father and then I'll come right after you. Now, in those days, in the Jewish community, if someone died, there was not any kind of prolonged thing that happened after a death. If somebody died, that person was buried and the mourning began within a 24-hour period. And so, uh, for Jesus to say, let the dead bury the dead. If you're going to follow me, let's go. It kind of comes off harsh, doesn't it? I mean, we're like, come on, it's the guy's dad. In fact, it's the, it's the responsibility of a firstborn son to see to the burial and to see to the estate and things like that. The guy's just being a responsible son. What's with Jesus that he can't even wait 24 hours for this guy to bury his dad and then come after him? Except for the fact the guy's dad is probably not dead. In fact, the guy's dad is probably not even close to death. See, what in effect this guy is saying, uh, I want to follow you too, but let me take care of a few things and then I'll be along after you. My dad's getting on up there and there's all kinds of family things to attend to and all kinds of uh, family business things to attend to. And so, you know, when I get all that done, I'd like to follow you too. And basically what Jesus is saying is, if you're going to follow me, you don't get to set the timetable about how that happens. See, the way that plays out for you and me is, I, I'm going to follow Jesus. Just as soon as I get that degree finished, I'm going to start following him. Just as soon as I get the marriage thing done, I'm going to start following him. Just as soon as I get the kid thing done, I'm going to, I'm going to follow him. Just as soon as I get the career thing done, I'm going to follow him. And Jesus is like, no, it, it doesn't work that way. The kingdom of heaven is now. My call on your life for discipleship is now. You find a way by my power and grace to follow me now. Seek first the kingdom of God. All these other things will be added unto you. It will all be figured out. We'll, we'll get those, those things addressed. We are in some ways, friends, much more dangerous circumstances than our brothers and sisters in foreign lands who are being kidnapped and tortured and tongues being cut out and even lives ended. 
we are in more danger in the sense that ours is more subtle, it's more sinister, and we can be lulled into a sleepy existence that makes us think everything is okay when everything is far from okay. And we are in the perfect storm, if you will, the perfect collection of circumstances that keep us from true discipleship and following Jesus. His call upon our lives is a call to not just come and see, but to go and die. That means you're going to give up things. That means you're going to say no to things so that you can say yes to Him. He may call upon you to say some no's regarding your career. It happens. He may actually say, don't take that promotion. Don't take that transfer. Don't take this great new opportunity that's going to have this great new bonus and perks and all that kind of stuff that goes with it. Now, on the other hand, he may say, go for it because I'm going to do something with you in that context. But he may say, no, I don't want you to go in that path. I'm not looking for upward mobility here. I'm looking for a little downward mobility here. He may call for you to say some no's and to give up some things related to your comforts. It may not be in his plan for you to leverage your resources and upgrade to that new car or new house or that great vacation that was going to happen or any other another dozen things he may call for you to not have your kid involved in everything that has you running all over the place all the time ballet is wonderful not this time Ball games are wonderful. Not right now. See, there's no margin in some of our lives for the things that God's up to and the things that God's calling for us because we are too full with career stuff and comfort stuff and kids stuff and gizmo stuff. You have to have that iPad, that iPhone, that iPod, that flat screen, that netbook, that notebook, that laptop. I know the one you got's like 12 months old, but <laughs> he may call on you to not be the latest and greatest. The call from Christ will reject the American culture of self-advancement self-esteem and self-sufficiency now some of us are going ouch already because it's, it's been all about that for us self-advancement it's been all about building you know my sense of worth and my ego it's been all about not having to depend on anyone else or anything else and getting to a point of self-sufficiency When Jesus said, you know, I don't even have a place to live. I have to ask if I can stay in your home for me to have a place to lay my head. Dependent, not self-sufficient, humble, etc. The call will reject that American culture of individualism. Me-ism. 
Materialism. I want. I must have. Universalism. Hey, it's all about trying to get to the same place. All the paths lead the same way. All those little differences don't make that much difference. The call of Christ will reject all of those things which are the heart of our culture. What we're talking about is the American dream. And the American dream prizes what people can accomplish when they believe in themselves and when they trust in themselves. And it flies in the face of the gospel. Jesus is not trying to lead us to a place where we can believe in ourselves. Where we can trust in ourselves. He's trying to lead us to a place where we believe in Him. Trust in Him. The goal of the American dream is to make much of ourselves. And the goal of the gospel is to make much of God. Man, these are like polar extremes. You cannot make much of self and much of God at the same time. You can't do it. One famed Christian from another generation was asked, so what do you want on your tombstone? You had that question, the tombstone question? How do you want to be remembered? Do you want people to remember you for the great leadership, for the great sermons and the teachings and so on like that? And he said, you know, I'd rather them not remember me. But the Jesus that I tried to present. See, that's a radical difference, friends. Than what our lives sometimes get all crazed about. The American dream has much of the American church kind of putting a Christian spin on the American culture. Kind of a Christian spin. Sells a lot of books to do that. Your best you now. Becoming all that you can be. And friends, it is not about us. It's not about you becoming the best you can become. It's not about you being able to to live the best life you can live. It's about us following Him and carrying out His call, His commands, His kingdom plans. The work of discipleship is why we're still on this planet. We are in this world for the four and a half billion who are still without Christ. That's why we're here. The church is God's plan A to accomplish His mission. And there is no plan B. We're it. He's not going to work around us. And remarkably, excitingly, this is happening all over the planet right now with the church of Jesus Christ. Except in much of America. There are little outposts of it, though. 
I can take you to some churches. I can take you to some people right now. Medical professionals who have said no to advancements in their career so that they can continue to have significant time to volunteer in clinics or to do overseas projects or to release their resources to benefit the poor. I can take you to business people who are not just uh, seeing how much you know, the bottom line can rise, but how can they leverage the success of their company and of their uh, generated income? How can they leverage that to benefit those that are without, to make a difference in the world? I can take you to some young couples who have said no to a lot of the American dream and have moved into the inner city so that they can live out their faith. I can take you to some seniors who have said no to retirement and golf in infinitum, travel and all that kind of stuff, so that they can be difference makers in the kingdom of God with the increased discretionary time that they have in their retirement years. It's happening. And it's very countercultural. And it's in a few outposts here and there. But by and large, the American church is in trouble. Because we buy into the American dream. You've been noticing what's been going on uh, around our community lately? The, the, the call to live for Christ in your context is a call to get marching orders from the Lord and then to live that out. Back in another generation, a guy by the name of Dietrich Bonhoeffer was doing what we're talking about right now. How do I live for Christ in a day such as what I'm in? And, of course, the day that he was in was the, the advancement of Nazi Germany in a world war. How do I live for Christ in such a time? How do I live for Christ when the government has the policies that it has and it has the pursuits that it has? And he came out to some profound conclusions. One was this, when Christ calls a man, he bids him to come and die. I must find those ways that in my faithfulness to Christ, I'm dying to self and dying to everything that my country would be sucking me into right now. He said the call to follow Christ is the call to abandon the attachments of this world. Those are in his writings, the work called The Cost of Discipleship. What are the attachments of this world that are so alluring to you, to me? So if you've been noticing what's been going on in Redmond lately, for example... There is a design at work to bring a lot of people to a little area and create some kind of community experience. And it's happening with these high rises that have been going on just down the road from us. You been noticing that? I mean, they're just popping up all over the place. And I'm like, how can we be building so much? I mean, in such a day, who's going to be buying these condos or going into these apartments? But by and large, they're... They're filling them up. And uh, a lot of you know they're about to tear out a bunch of uh, long-standing businesses and create this kind of Central Park kind of deal, and everything will be in walking distance and so on like that. But, friends, it's all faux community. It's all false community. 
people will have all this geographic proximity, but they won't know how to live with one another, love one another, and do life together. And they will be isolated from the gospel and from the, the work and the message of the church unless some of us hear the call to move out of our cul-de-sacs and off of our streets and move into one of these high-rises and begin to do life in these buildings and build relationships and build a community for Christ. That's just one of a dozen things that we could talk about today. But here's the point. Has Christ called you to discipleship? Have you been able to hear that call? Not to churchianity, not to cultural Christianity, but to biblical discipleship. Will you? Repent. Stop going in the way you've been going. Stop doing it the way you've been doing it. And follow Him. Do it His way. Do His will. Will you give up the American dream? I'm not bashing the United States of America. I love this country. I'm grateful to be in this country. But I'm not going to succumb to the culture of this country that has become a culture apart from God. Will you sacrifice the American dream and all that goes with that and make life about Jesus? Will you give up excuses? You know, if I, if I can just get this done, if I can just get this in order, if I can just, you know, cross this off the list, get rid of your personal agenda and make it all about Christ. Will we follow Him? Let's pray. So our Lord, in these moments, the bar of discipleship has gone up as we've been able to see more clearly what your call involves. And Father, for some of us, it's a little unsettling. Uh, It seems too much or too demanding. For others of us, it's confusing. How do I get there? For others of us, we're just afraid. Will you meet us where we are? Inner conflict, confusion, fears. And will you be mighty in our hearts, in our thoughts, that we might be able to have confidence in turning to you? Father, like the old chorus, we will follow you. Though none go with us, no turning back, we will follow you. 
because there's none other who can save. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.